Welcome back to Jokerman Podcast. I'm Evan. I'm Ian. It's the podcast about Lou Reed. And John Cale. And John Cale. Actually, I should have said John Cale. Yeah, you should have said John Cale today. This is, yeah. this is a John episode. I'm in a new place, and so this is, uh, before we get into it, I just want to celebrate a little. This is my, the first, first uh, time recording in this new, my new house. Mazel. Pay, paid for with your millions that you're making on the Patreon every month. Paid for with love and blood. Uh-huh. Hey! There you go. Look at that. And it's a, also a special occasion because we're about to talk about a special album. We sure are. We're a little, I'm a little scared for this one. You know, my day has been actually full of fear and anxiety because I was moving. I was moving and trying to set up the internet in here, and um, I ha- had no idea until about five minutes before we started if I was going to be able to record with you. That's well, you know, that's how it goes. It always comes together there at the last minute. Uh, yeah, you could say that fear. There's almost something good about it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. What's another way to put that? I don't know. It'll come to me later. Yeah, we'll see. Um. Yeah, we got a good one to talk about today. One I've been excited for since I knew we were doing this, to be honest. This is yeah. one that I've yeah. been been anticipating. It's still early days, you know, and this is still relatively basic as far as the the John material goes. But uh, I yeah, mean, there's nothing basic about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's one that people are familiar with. So it's not like we're, you know, it's not like we're doing uh, together through life here. But it's in no just matter as good. how familiar you, you think, like when you say people are familiar. That's not most people. Yeah, I guess so. we, we need to be grading on a curve here, don't we? Everybody who knows John Cale's music probably knows this record, but uh, most people just don't know this record. And that's, uh, you know, something that we're here to correct. Right. If, you, if you are one of these people who, lucky you, get to hear it for the first time, uh, you should probably just listen to it before you even listen to us talk about it, because... I wouldn't want to sully your experience with wouldn't want having, to spoil having, the album. Yeah, I just wouldn't want you to be thinking about anything I said while you were listening to it for the first time cuz I it, for me when I first heard it it was like a, a it felt like just so out of the blue what like what a shocking discovery and I can't believe nobody's talked about this. And first ever podcast about fear by John Cale 1974. It, it might be. It is. I don't know. There, there are like no podcasts I mean, about any John Cale records at all, as far as I've found, at least. Well, we're breaking I'll, new ground I'll, here. I'll, I'll drink to that fear. 
to, to fear, <laughs> to being really scared, <laughs> to evil. <laughs> um. Yeah, I guess most of the listeners, you know, of this program might be familiar with the record, but most of the listeners of this program are not the standard music listening public. So that's sort of the that's sort of the dichotomy uh, that uh, that we're dealing with here. Whether or not you're familiar with the record, it's a damn good one. As we said, John Cale, Fear, 1974, his first London record, his first of three island albums, uh, records for Island, uh, that were all released over the course of about 13, 14 months, uh, 74 to 75. Now, you got your John Cale book over there. I got my John Cale book. I got the scans up on my computer here. We got, we got, what's we got what's Welsh for Zen, John Cale's what, autobiographical. What's, what's uh, Welsh, Doc? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. I don't, I don't know how to cleanly make that a Bugs Bunny reference, but I'll, I'll leave that up to you. I'll try. The uh, the section for for fear just starts. You know, we're not. Gonna, I'm not going to try to quote from this too much, but it just starts with too good of a line. John recounting in first person what's going on in this moment in time. First line of the fear of the island record run, really, where he talks about fear, slow dazzle, and Helen of Troy, uh, begins with this sentence: "I left L.A. for some of the same reasons I left New York, only with the heroin replaced by cocaine." <laughs> cool. So that's that's the mindset that that John is going into recording this album with. So you know, kind of kind of makes sense why you might be have fear on the brain if you're bailing out on Los Angeles with thousands and thousands of dollars of recording debt uh, owed to Warner Brothers, the record label, uh, and uh, you're also a cocaine addict. I think this record is like it's from 1974, and it feels like it's from 1979. And it looks like it's from 1979 hmm. or at 1980. It has like, uh, it, it's cause it's, he's just inventing things that it took a lot of people to catch up to the sensibility of the record. It's not like it has this, uh, post punk thing. Like it doesn't have that, uh, per se, but it, it's where glam music so, like sort of dissolves away any of the actual glamour. It's just the uh outlandish quality is preserved. That that sort of outlandish and character like heavy on character quality, I think that we associate with glam music is here, but there is no makeup, there's no costume. There's no color on the cover. Mm-hmm. It's just this, uh, it's rock and roll music with some stank on it. Just somehow, like, there's some kind of, he's putting some kind of extra little thing in there. Yeah. And, it, and, and it's, like, unmistakable. Yes. He's, he's far ahead of his time here. You're absolutely right. I mean, he's, he's not making, you know, a factory records record here necessarily, but he's definitely, I think, this, like you said, the sensibility is very much where music, where, you know, rock music artistically kind of um, fulfilling rock music is heading over the next five and even ten years at this point. And, uh, and yeah, I think there is an element of, you know, he's pulling on a thread from glam, and I think actually that comes up more like in Slow Dazzle and Helen of Troy, 
um, which we'll get to over the next couple of weeks. Um, but uh, you know, with with glam music, there is like an there's a baked in element of like corniness, you know, and and that's not to say that there, there's anything bad about that, but there is just sort of like a stagey, you know, performative really aspect to it, and that's completely absent from this record. There is no this is lean mean. To, to steal a title from another song that he's going to put out shortly, Dirty Ass Rock and Roll. Well, it's also not, um, I don't know. First of all, I don't think it's necessarily true that glam rock is corny, but it is theatrical, which, so it often ends up being corny um, or like corny in retrospect or when it fails to really... Uh, yeah, I, I don't say corny. Good. I don't mean that as any sort of uh, put down or anything, but there is just, you know, there's there's a layer of sheen, of cheese, of camp, schmaltz. whatever, schmaltz, exactly. Whatever word you want to plug in there. And that's not uh, on this record. No, but I also don't think that this record has like a lot of... It's not like terse and um, cold exactly because a lot of it feels very hot and volatile. And it's not that icy, uh, th- that thing that you think of when you think like uh, post-punk. Or... Yeah, it doesn't sound like The Cure or Joy Division or anything. It is a very warm, yeah. you know, rock and it's, roll it's record. It's warm. It's like warm and it's hot. It, a lot of the songs are just like bloody. There's a visceral quality. A couple in particular, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think with that, well, we maybe talk- we've... We got to talk the cover first. Well, we can talk the cover first. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. He doesn't really look like that at any other point before or after. And I've seen the pictures from that actual shoot and he does look quite emaciated and has this weird haircut again with like a weird haircut long with very uh, abbreviated bangs. Yes. And uh, hair was just... (laughs) He was all over the place these first couple of years there. The high, high, high contrast black and white and super close up of his face. Yeah, it's completely blown out. It's like he's got no lips at all. He barely um, even looks human. No, he looks a little like Daniel Day-Lewis, maybe doing some kind of uh, really intense Holocaust. Method performance, uh, yeah, exactly. Perform- method performance. Yeah, the cheekbones on the right side, that, that just like that contour line is really, like that's the most kind of striking element. Skinny to, legend. It, it's that, it's the it's the little lip line in the middle, and then obviously these big, enormous black eyes right there in the center. Yeah, these kind of spooky, uh, big black eyes. He almost looks like, oh, you can't exactly tell that he's a man it, he he's got yeah, there's an androgynous because i mean the face is just so like it's almost all blown out there's like yeah, there's hardly any defining and, characteristics yeah it could be uh could be patty smith up there yeah, for could all be. I know. um very it's, not, it's john very stark image and then just very simple top right corner almost jokerman-esque just white text on black background john kale fear simple but as there's that a, there's a different version of it you know, uh, of of the record. What do you mean, different version? Uh, there's a different version of of the uh, the text, like a different image, uh, like a different cover image. No, no, like the same cover image, but bold text: John Cale, white, big, bold, blocky text, mm. and then this scrawled red fear. Oh yeah, I see that now. Which I don't think is as good. It that I I don't care for. I know how you feel about color in general. Well, 
It's um, sometimes, sometimes uh, not your yeah, aesthetic. I, mean, I don't. I don't wear a lot of color. I wear a lot of black, white, and neutral. And yes, uh, Ev- as we record, Evan is in just like a white button-down shirt, and I'm in a tie dye blue Steely Dan T-shirt yeah. and overalls on top of that. So yeah, I'm wearing I'm wearing black shoes, white socks, black shorts, and a white shirt. <laughs> Evan actually lives in just a monochrome dimension. He's sort of like Charlie Chaplin. It's just like all black and white around him. Anytime you you, you just like kind of walk into his orbit and you just like see the color seeping away from the world. So I appreciate the one that has no color in it, um, <laughs> because I think it's a strong choice. And I just, sure. think it's, I mean, I think it just looks really elegant of and, course, yeah. and cool um, and, and more timeless because the, just the, the font choice, the typefaces on the other one do kind of look, it, it actually looks a lot like the um, Robert Palmer album Clues, if you're familiar. I'm not. Um, there's a, a record called Clues by Robert Palmer that uh, actually has, you know, it has Johnny and Mary on it, that, that great song. Mm. Um, it's from 1980, but uh, that's what the other version reminds me of. Sure. Well, I'm looking at the, there's like a book, I, I found like a couple like other scans of like the booklets and stuff that came with the record. I, I don't know if this was a gatefold album or if this is just a booklet from the CD or something, but if, uh, if you, if you look at this, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this up on my screen so you can see it right now. Maybe we'll post this somewhere, but this is the, look at oh, this. Wow. That's just, that's so cool. Oh, uh, I damn. love it. It's just his, eye, just, just the eyes, just like yeah, just black, big white double-sided, oh. uh, fold out of just these huge blown up black eyes and eyebrows, yeah. the bridge of his nose. Man, um, the what a back vibe. cover is also really great. I don't know if you've seen that. Where uh, he is, he's perched, sort of hunched over there, right? Yeah, he's perched upon like a, a refrigerator or a, some kind of a table or a something. Cylinder. I mean, not a cylinder. It's a big rectangular thing. Um, I don't think it's a table. It's just like a big, a big rectangular thing that's not a table. Yeah, and it's all white. It's all in this white room with these sort of like billowing white curtains, it looks kind of like. And just like the, I love the way it's laid out. I mean, I think back to front, this is some of my favorite record packaging of all time. I think it's, I think it's one of my favorite record covers. Um, and in some ways, I think it's one of my favorite record albums. Yes, I mean, no question about that. It's very striking just you know very well executed package i would say for a very well executed record uh last thing to note or just one more thing that i want to note at least the credits on here also uh runs down keyboards john kale guitars phil manzanera john kale we'll get into these people but just mm-hmm. just literally the credits bass guitars archie leggett john kale drums fred smith last two credits girls i and d chanter and l strike last credit eno colon Eno. Eno was playing the instrument, Eno. (laughs) Wow. I love that. (laughs) I love that so much. Yeah. Jinx. Uh, Well, should we we get scared? Yeah, this waiting is killing me. All right. first time you heard this song do you remember because I, I think i remember i don't you tell me 
I mean, I just, I think I was just driving around Westlake. Um, <laughs> very, a very so, scary place, <laughs> Westlake uh, Village. I think I just heard this song and I put it on and I was listening to the piano part and it, I was just instantly captivated by that and everything about it feels so great. <laughs> and then when it kicks in to the guitar and bass, finally, I had like just, uh, I can't remember being more excited I don't know. Like it just, it rocked my world. I thought that was the, it was, it's amazing. Standing, waiting for a man to show. Wide-eyed one eye fixed on the door. This waiting is killing me. It's wearing me down. It's a very striking opening. I think the, the same way that, uh, not Hanky Panky, that uh, Child's Christmas in Wales is the perfect way to open Paris. Fear is a man's best friend, is the song, is the best way, best perfect possible way to open Fear, the record. Uh, it just like kind of so neatly sums up the vibe that he's going for here, uh, lyrically, obviously, which we'll get into momentarily, but also musically, where you're totally right, this piano just brings you in there's like a little kind of discordant note right there at the beginning and then you segue into this really kind of beautiful melodic you know section for a few seconds a few minutes there and then Finally bursts and pops, and you get this rockin' band, very slim, uh, narrow, straight kind of band. Um, and uh, and John's just like, I don't know if he's ever sounded better as a vocalist uh, than he does great. on this record. But the thing about when it when those drums and guitar and bass come in, some of the best instruments: drums, guitar, <laughs> bass. Well, I I mean, I'll go further, unironically <laughs> talking about. In some way, yeah, like it's (laughs) there's something about the best music to me, um, is or a thing that I think uh, my favorite artists have in common is that they understand the power that each individual instrument has on its own, and they understand that it's not a bit, you know, it's as big a deal as you want to make it to have drums come into a song that was just piano. Mm-hmm. It can be, it's as big a deal as you want to make it to have electric guitar on a song versus not. And on this record, we've seen John now do everything from solo plaintive, solo piano, uh, orchestral work. We've seen him do uh, like the most ornate, manicured singer songwriter material um on stuff like paris and 
So we really don't know what he's going to do right here. It's unclear. And of course, all the Velvet Underground stuff, you know that he's a total wild card at this point. So what is he going to do? Um, and the way that this record starts with him on piano, you don't know yet that he's about to show that he uh, he's he's doing the closest thing to the Velvet Underground that he's done since then. And uh, it, it just like it erupts at that point in the song. Interesting. And it's so um, it's not normal rock and roll playing either because that bass is so grotesque. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely like, you know, he's doing pop song writing on here. It's not Church of Anthrax by any means, but it's definitely more angular and more kind of dissonant and startling uh, than anything on Paris or on uh, Vintage Violence. I haven't ever really thought of this record or this song necessarily as particularly like in line with the Velvets kind of stuff. I don't think it is in it terms is... of musically necessarily as it is in the sensibility and what they're trying to do right. and stuff like... Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily disagree yeah. with you. It's it's just a new kind of connection that I've made. Um, especially because John, when John was in the Velvets, obviously he was, you know, doing fucking, you know, he was the wild one. And this is this is relatively straight and narrow as far as, as, far as his kind of material goes. Well, that's the thing is that Fear is a Man's Best Friend is not a song that's... It's not actually like so discordant or experimental it's not actually at all like the way it is on paper it's just a song and it's a really strong melodic and catchy rock song yeah but there's an uh, just an ineffable thing about its execution and i mean execution in terms of the tone that the instruments achieve but also like his screaming at the end I mean, there's... Yeah, he gets worked up there towards the end, and that's obviously kind of the most out there that he gets, uh, I guess, probably on the whole record, to be honest. Maybe on Gun, but... um, Yeah, Gun. Yeah, but uh, but he... It's less him on Gun than it is, you know, in Manzanera. Um, But the the lyrics on Gun are pretty... uh, out there. They are. Uh, They they are out there, yeah. Um, I just just think that this song has a... um, I don't, I don't think we've seen him yet do that thing um, of just doing rock, of doing a rock song. Right. And he will, like, lean even harder into that with what comes right after this with, like, uh, animal justice and chicken shit and stuff. Like, those songs that are so, um, like, the scuzziest of the scuzziest yeah. rock music. That'll be a few years later. Um, Isn't but, that 75? Yeah. Uh, is chicken shit's not seventy five, isn't that like seventy seven? Seventy seven, yeah, it's seventy seven. Um, I uh, yeah, no, I I think that like this and um, um, and the slow dazzle and Helen of Troy are all kind of of a of a piece, and then he goes really off the deep end at that point. Um, but uh, yeah, lyrically speaking, I just like just from like a poetic standpoint or something. I mean, he's he's killing it once again in an entirely new way on this record. I think um, like fear is a man's best friend, right? The, the, this refrain you add it up, it brings you down. You add it up, it brings you down. He doesn't like, I I was even reading, you know, the, the book uh, earlier uh, today or yesterday or something like that. And he, he says something like, you know, I, I didn't even know what it meant at the time. It was just more of sort of a sense that I was trying to put across at this moment. Um, he said he was like doing a bunch of dope and had agoraphobia and stuff, had just moved to London, didn't know anyone. His wife was, you know, running around behind him uh, and he was running around uh, behind her back as well. 
it's just sort of not not the greatest uh, mental uh, state, it seems like. Um, and uh, and so, I mean, lyrically, I think he's he's in this really kind of weird, fucked up place, uh, just in his personal life, and he puts it across in this really kind of simple and effective and and really poetic way but it's totally different than what you got on on Paris just a few months before Poems living like a man on the run trails leading nowhere where to my son we're already dead but not yet in the ground come on shake my helping hand Darkness warmer than a bedroom floor. I love that line. Rewind it even a little further back, because what's the first line on this song? If we're talking about the Velvets. Sure. Standing, waiting for a man to show. Waiting for his man. A little bit. Yeah. And I think that there's something to be said for the song. Um, You know, you could think of it as... um, Somebody, like, I was looking at genius, you know, like you do, just looking at the lyrics, and seeing, like, what people... very few people have said anything about it. Not a lot of genius annotations on any John Cale material. One one genius uh, contributor says that the refrain "fear is a man's best friend" is is like saying whatever scares you makes you stronger in the worst and most terrifying way possible. Here's John on it from uh, from What's Welsh for Zen. Uh, "Fear is a man's best friend." That line, that quote, is an idea. It's about paranoia. It's not the sort of thing where you can say it's true or false. It's more of a dialectic, a position yeah. that you can or you can't take. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't say somebody's a good or a bad person. He's both. So maybe doing evil is better than doing nothing, but then you can't really get to the point where you're doing nothing. He goes on to lyrics uh, elsewhere. You know, I, I don't I don't think that he necessarily had, like, a specific kind of, you know, yeah, in, intentionality not. behind that line the way that, you know, Bob does on... Uh, on uh, some blood on the tracks uh, material. Does, well, does, you know, on blood on the tracks, yes. Um, but uh, but that's fine. You know, that, that's not. You know, you don't need that. And it's it's just such an evocative. You know, that line, this calling the record fear, making it look like this, starting it with this song, making it sound like this with the piano, with the band, with the yelping at the end. It's just such a. You know, I I think it it really sets the tone for everything that's going to follow. Once again, John Cale, very good at first uh, first songs on the record. Hello there, Child's Christmas and Whale, Whale's Whale, uh, and now Fear's a Man's Best Friend. Yeah, life uh, and death. Pretty good. Things pretty good you just do when you're bored. When you're bored. Yeah, I mean the the way that the song ends is um, a tour de force. You have that guitar work. Um, this kind of just like very like classic rock guitar stuff and then that monstrous bass comes in 
the band's just cooking and killing it on on levels that on all levels. But then right there at three ten, this like flatulent, like bloated kind of like wheezing bass line. It it's so good. And Kale screaming and screaming and screaming and screaming and screaming. Definitely telegraphing where he's going to be by the end of the 70s. You know, up until this point, at least as a solo artist, he's made like pretty music for the most part. You know, like lots Mm -hmm. of pretty songs, pretty orchestration, pretty singing. Fear, some of this record is very pretty. Some of this record, not so much. And and I think this is (laughs) probably... Uh, the ugliest, but in the most beautiful way. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, moment not to on, put on the too, album. Not to dwell on that uh, too long, but that screaming part, the the sort of um, rancid, ag- uh, belligerent quality of the of the playing, not necessarily the musical concept, but like the playing, the execution. It it's um, especially though with the screaming, I feel like it's. It goes to a point and past it where you know that this is um this is an ideas thing. It wouldn't have the same effect if he had just done it a little bit. A couple you know, times. Towards no, the end. He, exactly. He, he does really it does a need lot. to like go completely off off the radar and just like melt down and have the song collapse under its own weight by the end of it. Which and is you know exactly that what happens. When, by him doing that, you know that like all bets are off and everything that comes after that is um in the shadow of having just broken through the door like it's a shit metaphor <laughs> you uh but maybe broken that down sounds like the door it sounds like yeah the shadow of breaking down the door it mm-hmm. sounds like um john kale lyrics sure he likes mixed metaphors sometimes well speaking of what's what comes in the shadow of breaking down this door yeah well you were saying there's pretty songs and i think this next song is one of the prettiest songs that I know. Maybe the prettiest song that he has ever written, if not the prettiest song of all time. Uh, A European vision of the Old West, as he's very fond of introducing it. This is a European vision of the Old West. It's called Buffalo Ballet. Buffalo Ballet. On Fragments, uh, also on live at uh, Rock Palace. Uh, Probably did it a zillion other times as well. Uh, Just like, man, this, this song is so is so enormous. This is like yeah, this is the one that enormous. made me fall in love with fear initially. Yeah. Whenever lane was young and gay. 
outside the town Sleeping in the midday sun 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 It's the time, I think, where you first see that his song, his lyrics can match what he's already proven he's able to do musically because this is such a clear vision of um, I mean he says a vision a European vision of the West right the old West and it it is it feels like a true vision that is really cinematic and you know he I think has become confident enough that he doesn't have to just think about one cloud <laughs> he's he's painting like a huge canvas of like a huge pastoral uh, vista and there's also the idea the heavy um, ideas about time passing it's like John Wesley Harding in a way yeah no this is totally um, is John Wesley Harding you know in in its own unique way you know as as unique yeah. to John as John Wesley Harding was to Bob um, but I think it's definitely a, kind of informed by a lot of the same emotions and, and feelings, uh, and concerns, obviously nakedly on the, you know, fact that it's just kind of to do with the old West as he himself has claimed. But I think the simplicity of this song, like that's really the brilliance of it. Cause it isn't like a, a very kind of like on its face, if you're just reading the lyrics, it's not a very, you know striking kind of set of of words strung together the way that something like uh hanky panky oh. know-how is but but well, maybe the simplic- not as colorful but right well that's it right is the simplicity of it and this this refrain this chorus sleeping in the midday sun yeah. that he comes back to again and again and just on a very service level even if you don't understand the words sounds more beautiful than you can possibly well, imagine but the way he deploys it in such different ways all the way throughout the song with all of these different emotional connotations, it moves from this beautiful kind of reverie at the beginning to this like to, kind of elegiac. tragedy exactly by the end of it. It's so, it's just so it, like, it, this is like most of the time to me basically where yeah. it, like yeah. it's so perfectly conceived and knit together and, and packaged sound, lyric, emotions, everything like it, it's you cannot improve on this song. No, it's, it's I perfect. think it's uh, it's one of my favorite songs of all time. Yes. Like it's one of my f- very favorite songs, and I think that it's um, it is really sad. Like this song has this thing about it that is like almost tragic. unspeakably tragic, and that, and it it's one of those things where it takes maybe um, you know he says a European vision of the old west. I think sometimes it's the people who are. Uh, it requires like a distance is required to appreciate the beauty of something or the ideal that is um that's conjured by you know when we talk about the old west yeah this the, is a song that needs to be written by a welshman who lived in new york and well, los angeles and is living in london at this moment in i don't time. know that it, it it's a song that was and and probably was more likely to come from someone like that because it has um in America, I think in American culture, there's a sort of stock uh, tendencies when it comes to um, depicting the Old West and the appeal of it. Even whenever it's trotted out, um, you know, like what was the Old West like? It's it, people are like, oh, there was a pioneer spirit. Everyone could do what they want and lay their claim, and um, it, there was a we, we were us against nature and us the cowboys and Indians. And this song 
I think recognizes that the real beauty and the real appeal of the idea of the old West is that it's, it's unclaimed by the machinery of, of the rest of the, of the world. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a revisionist Western the same way that Pat Garrett and Billy the kid is, you know, uh, this whole kind of, uh, movement that you had in the 60s and 70s uh, with uh, directors like Peckinpah, you know... Peckinpah uh, and uh, Monty fucking, Hellman. Yeah, or, you know, Leone, obviously, fucking with the, you know, very established, trite, you know, John Ford vision of, you know, Western motion pictures. Uh, you know, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, the movie, does that. I think this song does that as well. Not yeah. that there are as many Western songs as there are Western movies, necessarily, but it's informed by the same sort of... Uh, the same sort of emotional spirit, and I yeah. and that's what I'm saying. Like I think, I think it needs to like this 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 um, um, take on things. This this emotional aspect needs to have come from an outsider rather than an insider. You know, someone who has a um, a perspective on things, a distance from stuff, instead of someone yeah. who who was you know kind of born and raised in that in that environment necessarily. Because you know, it is there is sort of a, a myth. Mythological aspect, yeah, mythical aspect to this stuff here, um, yeah. and and he does a great job of affecting that. When Abilene was young and gay, right, first line, and then by the time we get to it, people broke down and often drowned from wealth and the pain of old Abilene. Like there's this whole kind of like life cycle, this like this um, mm-hmm. story that's being pain, told yeah. and handed down through the ages uh, of this one, you know, young and gay. Yeah, I mean it, it's. Um there's a lot of um, in William Burroughs. There's actually, I think it's like an underrated thing about a lot of his writing. He clearly has like an affection and, and a well, like clearly, it's like explicit in a lot of his writing that there's this idea of the something similar to what's being get gotten at here, where it's like that there was a time like right before like the British East India Company really won against this certain band of pirates that basically were like setting up these sort of loose coalitions and uh, colonies where you could just be like a free person. And there was, you know, uh, there was some basic kind of code of morals and it was like a paradise of uh, not, a, not a, an emp- empirical one. And um, apparently that's sort of based on truth. Um, this uh, Captain Mission was the uh, guy in question. He was killed, and he says basically that your your ability to live and die as you would want, you know, as a free person, died in like the 1700s with him. And um, I don't think it's a. I mean, it's just interesting to think about that um, theme coming up so much for someone like Burroughs, and seeming to come out really full, fully formed um, with. Uh, Kale here, two two people who are total outsiders, while also being total, uh, they're like gentlemen in a way. Of uh, do you know what I mean? Uh, like like they're both like I, total like fringe people who also have this um, great uh, musical or literary ability. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just me using the. Uh, opportunity to talk a little bit about William Burroughs who I like but uh you know I think they they have a a similar role to play these those two men in uh literature and music respectively yeah why not 
Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't see a whole ton of like beat DNA in John's it's not lyricism. Beat, not beat stuff. You you should read more Burroughs. It's yeah, not, I, I that's not what I'm talking about. I haven't really read any, so I don't really have too many no, similarities not, to draw. It's not beat stuff. It's something else. But we'll, we can talk. I'll, I'll uh, send you some book recs later. Okay. Uh, it, it, I mean, just we, you know, we've talked about this song from a, you know, kind of intellectual uh, and, you know, kind of idea standpoint quite a bit. I don't want to undersell just how strikingly just beautiful this song is, you know, right off the bat from the, the piano, the strings, this stirring, striking chorus that, you know, kind of comes back again and again with the sleeping in the midday sun lines. It's just... um you know, and coming on the on the heels of fear, right? Especially the moment that we get to it, fear at the end of that song, which is melting into oblivion, and this is the very next thing that you hear. Yeah, it's just it's such a perfect kind of one-two tandem inspired way to sequence this record uh, and and really explain without explaining, you know, just showing the listeners right off the bat, like this is what this this album is going to be about. It's it's Fear at the Beginning, and then it's Buffalo Ballet, and that's, you know, those are the two poles that I'm swinging back and forth between on this on this record. Them tracks were lame Across the plains By broken old men In torrid rain The towns grew Perfect song. Perfect song. What more is there to say? Uh, we, we said a fuck ton, I guess. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I think we've said it. But we can't say it as well as the song itself, so just listen to it. Sleeping in the midday sun. Barracuda, Barracuda. <laughs> Barracuda, Barracuda, um, it's not the heart song, Barracuda, it's a different one, and it's actually the better one. Um, This is, uh, I think it's the most popular one, right, on this record? Someone tweeted us, I think in in response to the stuff we said on the Paris episode, apparently a couple of these songs were in like a Hulu movie recently or something like that. Fucking okay, whatever I'm, you say. No, I mean I'm honest. Like that's great. No, I'm glad I mean, I'm that sure. Hulu was cutting John Kale a check for this shit because he deserves he deserves you know some easy money off of this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean it's that uh, that Kate Bush effect to the Stranger Things right, Kate yeah. Bush thing. Uh, I mean, you know, God willing, people more people listen to John Kale. However, they no, yeah, nothing wrong. Put this shit in the next Avengers movie for all I care. That's where I draw the line, Ian. Well, <laughs> if it's if it means more people are listening to John Cale and he can uh, cash a nice cool check, you know, I'm happy for him. Some things aren't worth the money. Wow. Um, Barracuda is there's a reason why it's one of the most popular, and it's because it's it's uh, so cool and it's so fun to listen to, and it is great. It's a fun one, definitely. It's uh, it's this is I think where the band starts to kind of make itself felt a little bit more. You know, fear the the first song is definitely sort of a John focused thing, and obviously the band comes in towards the end. 
Uh, and then Buffalo Ballet is really kind of a spotlight on John. But this is where I think Eno and Manzanero really kind of come to the uh, come to the forefront here. Because I mean, this was this is basically a Roxy yeah. Music record with John Cale fronting the band. You know, the, but it, the groove is so good, and it's. I, I mean, we talked about how it's not like necessarily like icy and cold and stuff, but it is simple. I mean, like it's not bloated. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, um, it's this is not like less than vintage violence or Paris. I think this is a really stripped down kind of like just core guitar rock band well, kind of sound. It is, but also the elements that they choose to represent to represent those individual pieces have something special about them. Like it's a it's a bass. It's just a rock, it's rock bass, but it's not typical. In some way, it's like it has this really specific, really signature sound. The um, the synths have like just kind of this quality to them. Um, the the guitar playing. There's almost a uh, there's there's like a sort of a circusy kind of scent to this song, like the same way that something yeah. bad happened to a clown uh, on Mutineer has, <laughs> like the that descending kind of synth line that mm-hmm. you get throughout is is so funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, guitar wise, it, it sounds pretty sharp and like, you know, uh, this is not a punk rock record, but it, you know, I think this is clearly informing all of the, uh, the punk records that are going to come two, three years after this. It's, it's got such a, um, satisfying groove though. And it's so playful, Very. but the song is also ostensibly about dying in the, in water. <laughs> Yeah, the, a couple different songs on this record are about dying in water. We'll, we'll get to at least one more a little bit later. This one's a little more... It's like, grisly. It's like the lyrics are really kind of creepy and gross. Yeah, like, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that we saw like on The Gift, which, I mean, he didn't even write The Gift necessarily, but obviously saying it, like, uh, there's this like kind of morbid, but also yeah. like kind of like humorous, like there's yeah. a morbidity that's also funny at the same time. Yeah, it's like gallows humor. Yeah. Uh, Ten morons with their whistles blowing, yeah, howling so like good. a winter gale. That reminds me of Tweedly D and Tweedly. It really does, yeah. Uh, dark woman like a crow a He's crowing. He's in Tweedle Crowing for the carrion meat, and the ocean will have us all. The ocean will have us all is the the refrain. Um, dark forest with the moon arising, smiling at you out of reach. Cracked window in a chapel, dreaming, hoping for the twain to meet. What a right. cool fuck. Oh, come on. That's so good. Very good. A little more, so good. A little more you know, uh, directly lyrical on this one than yeah, he has more been so far John. on the album. Classic John, exactly. But It's like, oh, Johnny Boy. He's with back. That, he's back doing that classic thing where he's, a, he's doing that thing he does. Where that, he, JC, he, that classic JCS. That classic JC sound. We love when, when John Cale comes out, when Johnny comes out, and he says something like, dark forest with the moon arising. That gets all the ladies hooting and hollering <laughs> out in the crowd. Oh, Johnny's coming around. When Johnny comes around, man, everybody goes crazy. He says the craziest shit, man. He says, cold costs of the death of nothing. That's right. Slipping just like nothing did. Burnt scarecrow in the wind was choking, smoking in the summer heat. And when he says that, man, we love it. The, the birds they lose their friggin' minds, <laughs> man. <laughs> I like this this Italian guy who apparently yeah. is a John, this is Polly Walnuts as a John Cale fan. R.I.P. <laughs> Truly, um, Tony. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, drink to that. Uh, I learned recently, this is just, you know, a occurring one. Do you know John's middle name? Let me think of something fun. I just learned I... it, so. Um, no pressure if you don't know it or have a good bit to do here. Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Davies. John Ooh. Davies Kale. At rock. Not Davy Kale. John Davies Kale. So good. So John cool. John Davies Kale. That is... Badass. That's great. John that's Davies just ter- Kale. I think that's just terrific. It's wonderful. There was a picture of him. There was a pic- <laughs> I got that from that guy's account on Instagram that we uh, ran across recently. Wine in my feet or something, right? Yeah, yeah. He's great. But, yeah. He's um, great. Barracuda... It's a great song. It's a little, you know, it's it's not it's not one of my absolute favorites on the record. I would yeah, but say it's a fun time. It's a fun time, and it and it gives you this this essential other kind of element to what's going on on this record. Fear is totally its own thing. Buffalo Ballet totally its own thing. Barracuda still a third entirely different thing. Like he's, and then he's really you mixing get it another, up on here. You get a fourth totally different thing actually. On the um, next song. On the next song, Emily. That's right, Emily. times after I kind of realized this for myself I can't unhear it that um, this is where Brian Eno like got everything this is very like this really does sound like Eno was just like you know play, just like copying yeah. the guy's homework over his it's, shoulder it's in like class it's like copying the, this, the melodic sensibility like it's just it's that specific it's like the types of melodies that we know, you know, to have been really great with, you know, in his glamier earlier period and even into uh, later stuff like um, uh, Another Green World or shit, like even stuff later, um, like that, that song, that other album, what's it called? The, uh, the one with This. Do you know that one? Mm, I don't know what I do. Then there's uh, that one he did with Brian. Uh, he did that one with David Byrne, like everything that happens will happen today. Yeah, you know from 2008. One? You know what's funny is um, I was talking to someone who was not familiar with much Kale stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, she was like, well, it kind of reminds me of, um, of David Byrne in a way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's interesting. And then she sent a song from that record. From everything that happens happens today, which she was like, it's kind of like Big White Cloud. And then I just was thinking about it for a second. I was like, okay, so that's David Byrne. 
working with Brian Eno, who copied everything. He took from it all from John. Yeah, John exactly. K- it's John all the way down. There you go. He's the uh, so he's, she, the com- was, he's the common ancestor. She was totally right. Like in a way, that is that's why that happened. Like that is how that song came about. And yeah, on some level, I have a um, you know very different uh, kind of feelings about uh, John than I do about David Byrne. But I, uh, I see I see a similarity, you know, superficially at least. Well, I mean, I, it's it's more just that he's you know this is what that quiet giant thing was all about. Sure. Um, and when we talked about that in the first episode. Gruff Reese, um, calling him that. He does have this sleeper influence. I mean, people think about Eno as someone who's influential on others. And who is Eno influenced by? I think it's pretty clear with this song, Emily, and many others, that like it, it kind of comes from this. Um, and that's not to say that Eno is, you know, I, I don't hold him against him at all. Like, I think he is just, he expanded upon this. They were very much linked um, in, in some artistic journey. And then, of course, on Wrong Way Up, Wrong they Way fully Up, yeah. uh, embraced that similarity where it, it's, you know, that's why I feel like that record is becoming more and more thought of as like, I just, I've actually run into people or noticed people who, I don't think I've ever listened to any other John Cale record who know songs from it. Yeah, because Brian Eno is definitely more of a name brand than John Cale is. So you see, you know, here's a Brian Eno album from 1990, and it's kind of poppy and and catchy, and there's this guy, John Cale, on it. wonder where he comes from. And little little does everyone know, it's the other way around. It's uh, it's a John Cale album. You could say it's the wrong way up. the wrong way up, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, John has a nice uh, couple quotes about, uh, or a quote at least, about working with Eno on Fear uh, from uh, What's Walsh for Zen. The first collaboration with Brian Eno came from the encounter on... 1 June, he's referring to June 1st, 1974. Uh, we'll get to that record in a few weeks. Uh, and, the short re- and the short tour that followed, his contribution to the Fear album, here's John calling it the Fear album, one of our favorite <laughs> phrases. It's, well, it's just a... It's the an, Fear it's album. A, the Fear English, album. An English and Welsh thing, apparently. Uh, his contribution to the Fear album was in tandem with Phil Manzanera's guitar playing on Gun. It was a simple and effective way of working that I tried to emulate on future projects, setting aside four tracks at the point in the recording where Brian could come in alone and put his finishing touches on the process. Four tracks, a bottle of the bubbly, and some sashimi, and I'll see you in six hours. Of all the people I worked <laughs> He's with in really London, into Japanese food, Japanese and, food and, and champagne, and champagne. That's of what I'm kind of. Down to do tonight. The lifestyle that we're all hoping to lead. Um, Of all the people I worked with in London, Eno would be the most important long-term influence I played on his album, Another Green World, in 1975. So clearly John, you know, Eno is cribbing from John, no question. Uh, But, you know, I I think that John, it seems like a collaborative, um, you know, kind of relationship between the two of them, you know, uh, feeding back on one another and, and each one kind of giving each other a leg up at certain points throughout their career. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, Emily, the fourth song, Emily, yeah, sounds very much like a track it, from, really, you know, Another Green World, I think, is probably the Take most, yeah, the simplest one to, to point to. But um, And even lyrically, Oh, Emily, I'd love to be down by the sea with you, having tea with you, walking hand in hand on the shifting mm-hmm. sands, maybe we'll love again. Such a, such a simple, uh, yeah, clear, beautiful. crystalline lyric. Um, that seems to speak to some, you know, kind of deeper, larger spirit. God, it's so good. I mean, Eno really is 
just as good. Obviously, I don't think that's even in. It's not a, a question. Um, they're yes, they're very too, different feelings about Eno than uh, David Byrne on on my side of the ledger. Sure, you don't like David Byrne. I get it. <laughs> Cornball. Um, um, well, I think that uh, I mean I don't have. My feelings about him have, you know, grown. That Broadway less. thing is really. I went and saw it. Actually, set me on the wrong, parents. the wrong path. It's fine. That seems um, like so, that. That's exactly what it's designed for: is to go see it with your parents. Yeah, um, it was good for that. You know, they were happy. Yeah, we sure, were happy. exactly. Yeah, they were happy. That's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, has, you know, it's just as good, and yes, um, huge. He, he's done just as much with that thing that's explored on Emily which is just a beautiful ballad and I don't know what, what else we want to say but again the, the the refrain maybe we'll love again and the way he brings the girls in as he mentions yeah. on the credits and it just like literally the sound of the tide coming in and out mm. on this song is just so yeah. it's just it's such like a perfect kind of touch you know It's fantastic. Um, fear. It's a good record. Ship of Fools. Man, oh, it just keeps getting better. It keeps getting better, yeah. This was the one. So, like, I've gone through a whole fucking thing with this record, you know, over time. I think when I first got into it, like, Buffalo Ballet was like, that was the one. That's the best yeah. song on this record. That's the one that made me love it. And then at a certain point, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, it was like, it's actually Ship of Fools. Like, that's the mm. song on this record. And I actually have a different one at this point, which we'll get to later. Uh, but, I mean, Ship of Fools is, like, such a... It's so... It's so incredible. I don't even... I, I can't... I can't say enough about it. Um, lyrically, yeah. musically... Musically. It's, all, yeah. God, musically. It sounds musically. like a fucking, like, music a, box from another dimension. Oh. And it's and it is in a way that it's not even. It's just not done. Who else does that? We picked up Dracula in Memphis. God, the lyrics are so the yeah. Of the lines are so good. And then we hastily prayed for out souls, our souls to be saved. There was something in the air that made us kind of weary. Kind of weary. And, and the part where he says, we must be getting close to Tombstone. That's right, yeah. Yeah, uh, that whole, that, that that whole second verse. Mister, there's a caravan parked out back, restless, hoping for a Christian writer. Love this line. The black book, a grappling hook. A hangman's yeah. noose on a burnt-out tree. Guess we must be getting close to Tombstone. But Unbelievable. Do you know what, Unbelievable. Do you know what a, a ship of, the ship of fools is? 
Uh, it sounds like you do. So why don't you lay it on us? Well, the ship of fools is an allegory originating from a uh, book. Um, what is V one of five? Uh, v is a five. Yes, yeah, book six of Plato's Republic. Right. <laughs> I, I think I see where you're sourcing this from. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's about a, a ship with a dysfunctional ship crew. with a bunch of fools. Yeah, you, so you, you you could say it's a ship full of uh, less than less than intelligent less than intelligent fellows. People. The allegory is intended to represent the problems of governance prevailing in it. You know, it's about how we're it's the blind leading the blind. It's the ship of fools. And the story of the song, I mean, the, the song itself is kind of a, um, it's like a weird road trip song. Yeah. I mean, lyrically, I don't, I've never really been able to get a handle on what he's talking about on this song. Like, like, you know, tangibly speaking, at least, um, because the lyrics are so kind of obtuse and, and are relating a song of some sort, or excuse me, a story of some sort, um, but it isn't, I, I don't know what the resolution to it is. And then the, the music on top of it, just like the, the feeling that is conjured by listening to this song is so pretty. Uh, it's pretty at one, but it's also sinister at another point. And, and there's sort of um, just an unsettling element to it. But there isn't actually any sort of danger. Ugly, for, yeah, it's like, I don't, it's, it's, like yeah, it's, it's the feeling it's an of interesting being... contrast. It's the feeling of being on on the ship of fools, where uh, you can't you can't tell that you're you're gonna die on this ship. Yeah, we're the fools. We yeah, don't know. We don't know what's fucking going on. And I think he is deliberately trying to kind of fuck with you and um, disorient you. I think might be the best best way to phrase it, right? Because like there there are all these lines. Like clearly he's he's referencing. The, he's got America on the brain here, right? Tombstone is gonna is sounds like an old west kind of town. He's talking about sailing from Tennessee to Arizona. Wasn't there he's picking up Dracula said? in Memphis? But then at the same time, at the end, he's talking about Garnet in Wales, where he was born, and Ammonford and Swansea. Like there's this. This whole, like, he's talking about England and America, and it's not clear what's happening or how you get from one to the other or how they relate to one another. You know, it's, it's a very kind of, you know, a hopscotchy kind of song where you get from the beginning to the end and you're not quite sure how you did that. Um, yeah. I, I feel like I read somewhere that he said something about this being him trying to write, like, a Woody Guthrie song, and I can't remember where I read that. A Woody Guthrie song? Interesting. I don't know if I dreamed this, but um, <laughs> that sounds like a dream that you would be having at this point, doesn't it? Uh, um, ship of Fools. Uh, I, I'm one of them. <laughs> That's Ship of Fools. It's called a, a podcast. Yeah, Ship of Fools. Are you talking about Dang Jokerman podcast? Are you talking about uh, Dang Jokerman podcast? <laughs> when you talk, are, when you talk about the Ship of Fools, is that? Are you talking about the podcast Jokerman? Uh, there is a quote here in. Uh, in what's Welsh for Zen, despite my later declaration that I did not, quote, want to make a Procol Harum record uh, for the rest of my life, uh, a reference to the Thomas produced uh, Paris 1919. That's the, the producer yeah. on Paris. Uh, the song, Ship of Fools, would not sound terribly out of place on A Salty Dog, a Do Procol know, Harum record. Do you know them well? I don't know. Me, me neither. Yeah. I, so that's us being a ship of fools. We'll I guess we're, to, we'll, we'll get to that at some point uh, we in, will. Uh, in the future. Uh, he says, most of Fear's songs were more abrasive than, than Paris, he means. Is this uh, abrasiveness? 
the distinguished fear from Paris. Otherwise, fear is for me every bit the record that Paris is. It's just that it was more of an acquired taste. One aspect hadn't changed. I still, I still surrounded myself with talented musicians and producers, thus assuring a continued creativity and originality, which might otherwise have been allowed to stagnate. We picked up Dracula in It was just about the break of day And then hastily prayed For our souls to be saved But something in the air that made us love we By the time we got to Swansea It was getting says that fear is a more abrasive record if you actually look at the songs there's only what one two three four i think that you could actually say are genuinely abrasive in 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 and that's some of them are more are abrasive more in lyric than in Music. music right but the ones that are abrasive you know, they, they, this is a nine-song record. I think you could make the case that actually most of the record is not abrasive on a musical level, technically. Yeah, a lot of it is not. And even the abrasive songs to our but, ears well, 50 years later are not mm, terribly abrasive. Eh, but listening I'm at the time... I'm going to disagree with you because I think that Gun is a song that is um, still makes other songs look uh, weak. It's a song I think that makes death grips look i mean it's right up there with that it's the same type of thing Gun, this is this is john's i've seen footage yeah it is it is actually it is his it that's right um and there's, you know, people who make it their whole business to make music that is just about being abrasive and um, uh, just focusing on gore and violence. And um, it doesn't fucking matter to me, honestly, most of the time. I find that to be basically fucking boring when an artist, like, makes everything they do about, like, slaughtering people. It's just like you don't understand the idea of like contrast. You don't have like, you don't get that. Like it's, it's bad drama. It's just not, there's no drama, but John Cale, when he wants to, and he knows when to, and on this record, he employs it like perfectly is he can go just filthy. And, um, right after something like Ship of Fools. Yes. And I'll always be more impressed when somebody can do both and do both like 
this hard. Do like this, um, Sam. Who cares when somebody's just like mastered being gross 24 7? Good for you. Like, it's fucking boring. Sorry. But even, <laughs> even, even Death Grips, they actually have things, they do things that are, I think, pretty in a, in a way. Sure. There is a way to be gross enough where then you introduce a little bit of pretty and it's just the opposite. Uh, it's coming at the same thing from another direction of yeah, having ba- balancing a sense scales. of drama. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Have it. You don't want to go all in one direction or all in the other direction. You know, it's important to be able to kind of give, uh, give yourself both, uh, both ends of the spectrum here. And fear, excuse, fear is the perfect example of that because Gun coming right after Shape of Fools, Gun also starting the second side of this record. Oh, boy. Is yeah. so, just like, imagine listening to this record for the first time and you get through the first five songs. You're like, all right, this is... This is kind of weird. He's doing a couple different things. I, I don't really get a feel for this album or what he's doing here. And you flip it over, you drop the needle on on side two, and this is the first you, your eight fucking minutes of gun. <laughs> I think I appreciate music and there are entire genres basically that are like all about being really um, intense, you know, heavy all the time uh, with content and sound. And I can respect that, but I kind of respect it almost more in the way that you look at a great athlete and you go, they're very, very good at doing that. Whereas like, I'm in it for the art, baby. I want to see that you can do everything. And the bar is really high for that because of people like John Cale. And if you're content to just do the one thing and do it all the time, that's cool. But you are more of a jock than you are like an artist. And you have to just accept that. Like, there's people who are way more of a capital A artist than you because it's been done. And it was done, you know, in 1974 in a big way. And... I, I just think it's like something to, t- something to think about. Me and my partner. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, this song's heavy. Yeah, it rocks. Gun. It fucking it, rocks. It's great. I don't know what to say. It rocks. You know what? I you know what? I do know what to say, and I do what know I'm going to gonna say, say too. is, I love rock songs. I love songs. rock songs. <laughs>
remind you of, like, lyrically? What I, do you think about? Well, it's, I, I didn't think about this before reading the, uh, the quote about it in, um, uh, in the book here, but this is, this is apparently a song about a couple of detectives mm-hmm. going out and about and trying to solve cases. Yeah, you didn't get that? And I, I, was, I was more just, like, kind of, you know, into, into thinking, like, Yeah, you know, it's like Raymond Chandler gun. stuff. I love that. That's so good. I mean, it, it's about that, and it's, it's got these gnarly lyrics. Um, blood on the windows and blood on the walls, blood on the ceiling and down in the halls, and the papers keep, dr- uh, keep downing, drowning on everything I've burned, and the people getting restless, but they'll never learn. I picked up a doctor. He's good with a knife. Says anesth- anesthetic's a waste of his time. Great line. Very, very Burroughs-y. Works in a hurry, but always worthwhile. Knows they won't be back for a long, long time. Um, and and then all the stuff about the stair. I just want to keep reading them because they're so good. Um, but the the chorus against this driving, like grotesque and uh, just just badass, brutal, heavy, enormous, hard guitar rock, yeah, killing it. Um, and it's got just as much attitude as it has um, sort of uh, scuzz. It's not. It's it's got like a strong sense of character. The actual music of it, and uh, that chorus, which is just totally anthemic in this way that it's like this song is like pain blood. It, it's the same. It thing really to is me. kind of his pain blood, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I mean, this song is like pain blood in that it by Bob Dylan in that it dwells <laughs> in this sort of like just nightmare fuel fueled um, world that's like there's not a clean thing in sight everything is rotten yeah, he's and just living burning in the and just broken everything is broken you could say yeah he says uh he says, and your gun is about a couple of detectives in New York, and what goes on in a day's work. At the end, I left one verse out that was about one of them getting shot. It closed the song up, which was a foolish thing to do. The rest of the uh, song yeah. is about some of the cases they run into. Love that. I love that, too. I mean, Addition I that... by subtraction. Yeah. Less is more. I can't front. Yeah, it really does sound like pain blood. I, mother I have not of plenty, made that. mother of none. You've got me. You've got me cornered. You got and me still, cornered. You could actually still read on it. Run. Yeah, mother of plenty, mother of none. You've got me cornered and still on the run. I don't care nothing about you anyway. Stuck in this hole, I'm on my way. <laughs>
subtracting that verse and substituting it for the way that Gun ends, which is basically like three straight minutes of oh yeah, just the like guitar. kind of the heaviest, hardest, scuzziest shit that has appeared on a John Cale album since Sister Ray, basically. Uh, Do you know what, how this guitar solo was executed? Didn't they? Didn't he say you know he Manzanero was playing it and feeding it live into some sort of box or something that Eno was it, on Eno top was, of? Eno was sort of live. It was like dub reggae, but right. it was like just sort of live distorting and um, manipulating the solo. So they're kind of like dueling. It's there's this element of total um, unpredictability within what those two dueling. <laughs> forces are, are doing which is actually you know perfect for a song about two detectives where it's like you actually do have on that solo two guys trying to figure out that solo well exactly yeah uh, him saying that he, he deleted a verse here about one of the guys getting shot i think doing like we still yeah, get that from like, this song like we that that whole emotion that's all there we just hear yeah. it in the actual music the way you, that manzanera and you know are working together you have plenty of time to imagine it um, when you're after all those lyrics about blood on the ceiling, which like is so great. Because so you're just like, what? What happened there? What? What if they walk into where there's blood on the ceiling? Um, one lost his liquor, the other lost his hand. Uh, it's just, I think it's a. Uh, an important song. Yeah, absolutely. It's a perfect song, just as important and landmark in his discography as Buffalo Ballet is. But from it's just, the other way. Exactly, yeah. on the complete opposite. It's the black instead of the white, or the white instead of the black. It's, it's the red. Uh, yeah, it's the, it's the red cursive fear on the cover that you don't like. <laughs> yeah, is, well, it's like... It's, that's it's like, the blood on the ceiling and the blood on the walls right there. I mean, it really conjures up those feelings of like, you ever see that Instagram account of guy who um, cleans up uh, crime scenes I have not um, sounds like a good one to avoid yeah don't you know you, <laughs> you just realize you find out a lot about how blood um, sort of like turns into jello looks different yeah later sounds great there's a great uh a great little quote uh not lest lest we think that eno is uh you know kind of taking too prominent a creative role here john has this to say about him in uh what's welsh for zen eno a long time fan of the velvets was well attuned to what i was trying to do and this comes out in the music in an almost deliberate return to roots eno manzanera and i all co-produced and scored a tour de force on gun it began like Sister Ray and had some guitar passages that were evocative of I Heard Her Call My Name. Lest one think, however, that Eno's role eclipses mine, the opposite is true. Eno simply acted as a musical advisor to one of his self-confessed idols. Yeah, there he, it he, is. <laughs> he added random sounds when necessary, but they were really just icing on the cake I still wrote all my own stuff and still managed to mystify those who attempted to classify my style. <laughs> Damn. I like he's, that he's, he's not... He's dabbing on he, him. I like that he's cocky about it, too, because he deserves to be... Absolutely. And it is true. I mean, like, Eno... Eno is actually kind of reserved on this record for Eno. Like, it's not... As we were saying at the very beginning, not full-on glam. It's like... 
And, and I respect that so much from, you know, because you can tell, I think, I don't know, maybe you feel the same way that on this record, just listening to it, if you listen to a lot of Eno, you can tell that on this record, Eno is in the presence of someone he respects enough not to like go full on clown mode and um, just try everything. You know, as much as trying everything benefits Eno so often because he is like um, just a great talent. Um, he dials it back just enough to serve the songs on this. And uh, I think you can tell it's because he really knows that the material and the artists he's working with are, he doesn't need um, all the juice, all right. the sauce. Right, there's right, plenty right. there. Yeah. I, I, I think of it like a, a Venn diagram, you know, like there's, there's like John on, on, he's got the left circle. Eno's got the right circle. Right. And John's got all of the gun shit, the absolute, just like, you know, chicken shit, shit. You know, uh, or proto chicken shit shit there on the left, and then Eno's got <laughs> Eno's got uh, you know all come running and uh, all the ambient stuff on the right, and then they intersect at certain points there in the middle, and that's that's gun basically. Yeah, and um, then Eno's also got stuff like uh, Babies on Fire, which actually feels kind of kale like in in the way that gun is kale. You know, sort of, yeah, almost, almost. I mean, it is. It has some of those lines that are like, and that's what you know, baby's on fire. Uh, she's yeah, uh, throw her in the water. Hot, hot stuff, and that's what baby's been reduced to. Yeah, sounds like something that could be on gun. Um, it's it's a huge song. It's enormous. It's and one of it's his underrated. greatest. It's one of his greatest songs. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, totally no underrated. question about it. Um, it's it's just it it if you actually take it seriously, like as listening to it, um, it'll it'll blow your socks off how gross it is and how like <laughs> how fully realized it is as as this just epic of um, horror and just like pain and blood, it has this. Somehow there's like a triumph. It's a triumphant song. It's sure. a total triumph of of filth. Anthemic, absolutely, just like Pain and Blood. And I think that it's a great, like, you know, you think, uh, just think of the approach that we're taking on this show, right? It's it's John and Lou, right? And the, the stereotypical kind of thing, right? Lou is the... The hard guy, the rock and roller, the New York in the mm-hmm. gutter, leather, sunglasses, you know, badass kind of guy. And John is the classically trained Englishman playing the yeah. viola and playing the piano solos and all of the classical music and stuff. And Gunn is proof positive that he can do gutter, blood, guts, piss, vinegar, all the ugly shit just as good, if not better, than Luke yeah. can. Yeah, and it's not like it's a competition, and it's not like it's just about shock factor either, because in the context of the rest of John's work, that's what's important to me, is that a song like Gun... Can follow has, Ship of Fools. Yeah, it has power, because you know that he thinks about things deeply on a poetic level, that when he does something as vulgar as this, it is... Um, you can't help but take it a little bit more uh, seriously if you're, if you're going to give it the time of day... And it starts to like say a lot more than it seems to. Yeah. Um, it says a lot more. Gun is, you know, just as <laughs> it's just as badass as sex with your parents. Well, it's there's <laughs> the gun later, L- Lou Reed. The uh, gun. That's true. A um, song which was apparently so filthy in its original form that it actually had to be uh, cut <laughs> because it was too upsetting. Well. Speaking of filthy, 
now we're talking about all the good. We're, we were talking about the bad bodily humors, you know, the stuff you don't want to come out of you. Now we're talking about the stuff that we do want to come out of hey, you. Hey, it, it all comes out of you. <laughs> it's all going to come out of you on this. Uh, um, one day, eventually. On this record. The man who couldn't afford to, not <laughs> orgy. 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 <laughs> Is that a Welsh thing? I think it's just a John thing, to be honest. I mean, maybe it's a Welsh thing. If you're a Welsh listener, 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 listener please let us know. But I re- like I don't even know that the Welsh uh, pronounce it orgy. Uh, Can could we read be. some of these lyrics? Pity the poor man, pity the sad man, pity the green man <laughs> who couldn't afford to orgy. I'm about to, I'm about to say something very stupid. This is this is. This is John Cale's dignity. Okay. This is not John Cale's dignity. It is like John Cale's version of Bob Dylan's dignity. This is John Cale's like Sally Sue Brown. No, this is like pity the poor man, pity the the, the astronaut. Okay, the, yeah, I see what people. you. Yeah, yeah. He's like doing this. poor man looking at a fa- poor man looking yeah. at a Ferris wheel, uh, fat man uh, looking at an orgy. <laughs> no, it's just like fat man looking at something he can't fuck. Poor uh, thin man looking at he can't fuck. <laughs> I hope you've listened to enough of this stupid fucking ship of fools program to understand all of the the necessary material that you're going uh, to need to understand. We're getting that. a lot of new listeners, so they're going to be just like uh, lost. But yeah. you know, it's it's fitting that we go just full uh, bore on this episode because that's what it's about. This record is uh, unapologetic. And this song um, is insane. Yeah. Like coming I, after ship of fools into gun into the man who couldn't afford to orgy. Are you, are you kidding me? Like this is, this, this guy is a sicko. <laughs> He's going full sicko mode at this point. Yeah. Picture the policeman, picture the snowman, picture the woman who couldn't afford to orgy. Good for the postman, good for the con man, good for the milkman. They can afford yeah, to orgy. Or, yeah. Good for the butcher, good for the astronaut, good that for the curate. Me. The astronaut is so good. They oh, can good afford for the to astronaut. orgy. He can, he can afford The it. astronaut, yeah. John, John uh, what's his name? John Glenn, right? He's an astronaut. Buzz Aldrin. Wow, I'm glad that you said John Glenn. I mean, John Glenn is probably thrilled that you said John Glenn there first. There you go. I mean, he could afford to orgy in 1974 at least. Everyone knows Buzz Aldrin could afford to do it, but, um, <laughs> you know, not everyone talks about John Glenn. Um, this song has some background vocals from it's, a woman. Yeah, it's a Beach Boys kind of homage. Um, I was going to say that it's a uh, Serge Gainsbourg kind of homage. Yeah, I think this, like, this is, this is well, it's honestly... It's a woman coming behind him. What, where is well, sure. Voice? Yes, I mean, that, that element, absolutely, but music. That's more what I'm referring to. Okay, all right, that's fair. fact that you can hear a woman with not unrealistic sounds uh of it's that's what's she, going on she can afford to orgy uh yeah yeah she sounds like <laughs> someone who has a lot of money what does that even mean like who could they can afford to orgy well orgy we know what I don't know what it means. I think I understand what it means, but like I just well, just like what afford isn't necessarily about monetary stuff here. I think that's the key. Is that afford 
can mean a lot of things. A Ford, the milkman and the astronaut, you think they're paid the same? This isn't necessarily Oh, but he starts with about, pity the poor man, pity the sad man. Yeah, but I don't think... Then he says the astronaut and the milkman. I, I don't think this is about money. The astronaut and the milkman, they're making bank. Yeah, they're that's big, what I'm saying. They, they can afford to orgy, but the poor yeah, but man and the sad man, they can't. Oh, well... The poor man, but it, poor. Yeah. You know how? What is? What does he mean by that? I okay. feel like <laughs> all right. The sad man. Those are two different men. You got this. Just this. He's just sad. It, he's sad because he he's poor. No pity, but the poor man. Pity the sad man. The he might just be that. There's those are two different men. One of them is sad, and that's why he can't fuck. Pity the, the green man. Green, green with man. envy. Yeah. Or the Hulk. Green, green with envy. <laughs> Um, they're green because he's new because he can't he doesn't know how these are all equally valid readings of the, the man <laughs> the man who not, couldn't afford to orchid. there's there's the good man there's the wicked man there's the man who doesn't know how to fuck there is the um you know this is sort of like the passover seder thing hollow man looking at a cotton field <laughs> hollow man look <laughs> yeah. yeah for the orgy if it's a problem It's so fun. Like this song is so is so incredible. I love it. And and I, I was what I was gonna say about beach. Like I think this is kind of honestly informing "Love You," which is gonna come out like two three years after this. Like that kind of plonking synthesizer. You think that this song informs the Beach Boys? Yes, absolutely. Do you you think that Brian There's Wilson even- was? Listening to John Cale? Absolutely. No question. John, I mean, John even, I mean, we'll get to it on. I on, know that John was listening yeah, we'll to We'll get Brian. to Mr. Wilson, but uh, I, I mean, I would, I would absolutely imagine that Brian was aware of the Velvets and, and John Cale at this point. Interesting. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but he was even, really John matter. even, John even said uh, just more little, uh, more little color from What's Welsh for Zinn uh, when he's just talking about having moved to London. Uh, you've got some, you know, shitty new apartment. From Britannia Road, we moved to Shepherd's Bush when matters came to a head financially, and I was fortunate to be with some solid management. The apartment in Shepherd's Bush was in a basement. I would load the turntable with box sets of the Beach Boys well, and he, I know the, yeah, and sit there drifting the in a West Coast nostalgia. That rocks. I love that. Well, that's what that song Mr. Wilson is about, and it's... Of course. We'll get into that, but um, you know he's. This is the horny song on the record, but I don't know. I I don't think I feel like I've totally cracked like what the song is in some way. I feel like there's, and that's a, a, that speaks to how good the rest of the record is. Is that a song that on the surface seems this silly and this like, um, do 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 do. For the sake of levity, it's. I feel like there's more to it, um, or it adds something. You know, there isn't another song like this, and it's like a total parody of songs like uh, 
like Jetan, you know the the Serge Gainsbourg songs. Yeah. I feel like there I feel like there isn't more to it, but it I feel like you're right that it does add something because once again, this is a totally different flavor than we've gotten on the entire record up until now, and he's just like completely living in it's a it's it's a bop. I mean, it, it's super catchy and these beautiful kind of harmonies and stuff in the background, like that's straight Beach Boys stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's just, it's, it's almost like an exercise. Like these are almost like filler lyrics. He's just like, he just wanted to make a song that sounded fun and catchy like this. And so he's got these ridiculous fucking lyrics and he's pronouncing orgy like orgy. It's just yeah. like, it's, it's almost a punch. Like, uh, it's like, um, uh, you know, it's like a pratfall kind of song, you know, it's slapstick. To well, me, you know, the, the Beach Boys have some horny songs of their own. Boy, do they. Getting Hungry. You ever listen to that one? Uh, I don't know that I have heard Getting Hungry. Guess what it's about? Yeah, we're con- of, hungry uh, for country pie. I mean, if we're yeah. <laughs> speaking of a, uh, old old references. goes then into you know more than i know yes this is a song that um you know more than i know i i think that it's you know more than i know i think it's a it's a really good transition from the last song because to me this is a song about like a failed relationship and uh in a way that's one of, it's it's really good and yeah, this is the one. This is the one for me now. It, it, yeah. It, it, at first, it was Buffalo Ballet when I was a young man. And then, when I was, you know, in middle age, it was Ship of Fools. Now, as an old man of thirty, it's you know more than I know. This song is this like song is incredible. Said. You know more than I know. 
and yeah, I think you're totally right. Like, I think this is absolutely... We'll, we'll probably get into this a little bit more when we do the June 1st record, uh, the live record with him and Nico and Eno and Kevin Ayers. But, I mean, at this moment in time, his wife and Kevin Ayers were sleeping together, and you know, John, they, they, it was just a failed relationship. Um, and I think that you're totally right. I mean, verse 1, but us, like other angry whores, discuss, discuss what, threats what threats were made, were before. made before. You don't need them anymore. You know more than I know. You know yeah, more than you, I know. You know more than I know is... Um I don't know. I don't even like talking about this one. I mean, it's 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 such an evocative kind of striking line that like it isn't spelled out exactly what you mean. Well, what what it, he I means. I think there. what he means is a couple things at once, and one of them is really harsh, and the other one is very hurt. It's. I think that's the best way I could put it. I, um, yeah, I mean, as far it, as my it, reading of it. It's it like, allows you to fill it with whatever you want to. It's like Lana Del Rey lyrics, right? You bring your own life well, experience we to it. Should do a Lana episode. You I know. know you've talked about it. I mean, she's not an insignificant songwriter. I think she is a really great lyricist, and actually, probably surprisingly, some ways that feel like John Cale, and in, in, in ways that I think you might be surprised by, but. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't have anything. I, I think I think a lot of a lot of Del Rey's lyrics are actually Jan, Jack Antonoff lyrics, but I uh, okay. I don't have no, anything. I don't against, think so. I don't think so. I mean, just look no, at the credits. That's not, but mm, I don't I don't think so. I don't think she. I don't think he's writing that stuff. So. I mean, look at the credits. But uh, you know, it, it's it. There's this blank slate. Like you can bring whatever you want to it here. Um, but well, you can. But if if you listen to the whole song and you uh, are of a certain frame of mind, I think that. It's pushing you toward a certain a, a certain feeling that I think it's just one of the greater. It's it's like positively. It's his positively Fourth Street. Basically, it's like it's kind of this. Um, it, it yeah. I mean, it, it's it, definitely informed by it, the same emotional state. Positively Fourth Street is very like specific. Kind of like, maybe it's more his and harsh. I, yeah, I think that this is a little bit more like, you know, he's definitely coming from the same place, I think, but I really appreciate like idiots, or, or dig how kind of open and um, and reserved he is in his in his statements here. You know, it's, this is not, you know, <laughs> you'd know what a drag it is to see you. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> but I think that when he says, you know, more than I know, it's like saying, well, you've decided not to let me in. You've decided I don't get to know this stuff anymore. Sure, like I could well I'm be the gonna be, I'm gonna be outside of it from now on because you are not accessible. I, I at least that's like how I've read the song in a major way, and I don't think it's just because of personal well. experiences. <laughs> we don't need but to I, litigate I, that. But I, I would say that reading the lyrics, you know, it really pick, it paints a very um, stirring picture of. A relationship that has become uh, a parody of itself, and um, I think that the the chorus of the song um, is a somehow dignified way of addressing what the rest of the verses kind of just shamelessly wallow in. Yeah, there, there there's this like 
like resignation. There's no res- yeah. resignation to it though. Like it's not, there isn't as much of it. Like he's so exhausted and just over it at this point. Like th- there isn't even this like cutting kind of venom that you get on Fourth no. Street, which is maybe coming from the same place. You know, in terms of actual you know personal experience, obviously. But like this is such a such a just like striking and and really downer kind of song to me yeah. at least um yeah, it's, a, it's a total downer it's a it's a masterpiece downer yeah. song yeah. it's you know more than i know you know you've decided that uh that's gonna be how it is or in a weird way it feels it reminds me a little bit of where is my mind somehow just yeah. the sound the music of it not sure. necessarily the the lyrics but as the the similar kind of um because the song doesn't feel you know it's like it's like a really fun song to listen to that has kind of like it's really an earworm one of, absolutely one of the prettiest songs on the record that chorus again just like buffalo ballet is is such a striking you know perfect kind of refrain to come back to again and again and he does the same thing where he's singing it with this very kind of straight almost you know uh poetry recitation kind of tone and there's these beautiful choral vocals behind him um but um it's uh it's got a totally different kind of flavor and feeling obviously that those uh, live ver- we should mention uh, we should post a link to it or something but those oh, yeah. live versions that live uh, versions. did John Peel sessions uh, in 75 does he still play it he still plays it he played it on KXP hell yeah yeah i mean i think this is this is like this is uh, like i said a moment ago like my favorite song on the record at this point and it's yeah, such it's a, a great one. it's such a huge song and, and so simple at the same time and coming where it does Right on the second side after Gun after Orgy, before <laughs> Momama Scuba. <laughs> which, Mama, yeah, which, we'll get we'll know. get there in a second. We'll get to it in a second. Hey, but, but it's just it's such a it, it's such a beautiful kind of moment it, of grace on the second song, side. Every song, every song is necessary, and I really respect. I don't know if I mean it's kind of dubious. Do I give this much credit? But I will. That a song like this that you know more than I know, a song which I think you is know more than I know. Deeply about a, very much about a, a specific relationship. Very personal and, song. Sure. And very personal. Probably the most personal song that maybe he's written up until this point on his yeah, own possibly. material. I think that there's something really commendable, something I feel like makes it work on this record, is that, you know, you compared it to Buffalo Ballet, but I think he knows that the personal nature of this song does not deserve the um, cinematic treatment that Buffalo Ballet has, even though they're kind of they have a similar kind of feel in some way. There is an intimacy, even down to just down to the musical execution of "You Know More Than I Know," that feels more like this is about every day. This is about a real relationship, and Buffalo Ballet is is about something more symbolic and um, therefore it actually deserves a little bit more of that elevated uh, theatricality, that grand scope. And I think that this record more than anything shows that fear uh, or John Cale is, is really 
sensitive and thoughtful about when to employ those kinds of things. He's, he does not have like a one-size-fits-all approach to these songs or to songwriting. He thinks about the tone that would suit the song. And this is a, just a tour de force of different songs that have something really subtle but significantly unique about each one. And they're in the way they're done. Yeah, totally. You know, it's it's sort of a uh, uh, a poo poo platter of, of every kind of flavor and approach <laughs> that like he your could take. <laughs> well, no, I'm not. I'm not even going to bother. But seriously, like it, yeah, it really yeah. does give you every kind of thing that you're going to get. There's 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 violence on here. There's Paris on here. There's sabotage on here. There's uh, there's music for a new society on here. There's yeah, black there's acetate he on here. Stuff he it's, hasn't done yet is on here. It's and all stuff he's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's it's like a crossroads. It's just a junction of everything that comes before and after. Yeah, maybe the perfect if you if you got to pick one record, this is probably the one record that gives you the biggest, fullest picture of who he is as a musical artist. Um, you know, from beginning to end, which is why maybe to move us along here to the end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mama Scuba is. Uh, why would he end it this way? Is I the know. Question. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's it really is sort of a um, you know. It, it, I, honestly, I, think, I don't think thinking about it, it a little bit more. Like mm. I think he needed to end it with this re- that song because he just needed another song on the second side because he wanted yeah. to start. I think yeah. he wanted to start the second side with with Gun, and that first side, those first five, are so perfectly sequenced that yeah. like he just he had to have something here. At the Th- end. This is the one that I don't think belongs here and doesn't need to be here. Yeah. I mean, it's not bad, but there's something I noticed about it which I wonder if you clocked this that it sounds just like a, like a prototype of his cover of Heartbreak Hotel. Yeah, something like I, honestly the beginning like, when you hear that music be, the beginning it sounds like it sounds like gun to me at the beginning. It's it's similar but and and it's something that on Heartbreak Hotel yeah something it, that would become a signature in various forms uh, of his whole career and yeah, it is maybe of, more of a peek into the direction that he's going to go on uh, on yeah. the next couple records which is more of this kind of like you know the the emily's and the um the buffalo ballets now, now there's a dog barking on my end yeah uh, <laughs> you know, you've got the, every time the dog barks. yeah there's got to be a dog barking in every episode in This one feels a little bit more like what we were talking about, how this this record not being, in that it sounds like kind of normal, glammy, you know, yeah, exactly. fair. Yeah. And so it's a little bit of a downer to end the record on this. Um, I feel like you know more than I know is probably a better closer. Yeah, imagine an eight-song record with that at the end. Like, it would have been, I don't know. Uh, you well, know, I'm you, not saying that this is a this is this is completely undercutting things, and honestly, I'm glad to have an, another song from John. It's just it's sort of a weird note to wrap things up on after all of the, the entire journey we've just taken on the previous. Eight well, songs. you know, you get to if you want to be like generous, and I think we're inclined to do that here. You can say that you know more than I know. Final song in the record, uh, Mama Scuba, kind of like a secret uh, song, curtain call. You know, yeah. 
kind it's of. It's like a, on those. Remember on CDs, they used to have like three or four minutes of like silence uh, in between the last song, and there was like the secret song that would come up if you just let it run for long enough. Yeah, something like that. Well, we've said this many times about certain songs sort of having a the thing at the end of a record where it's like the, the last song previews a little bit of like what's next. And yeah, it's definitely the preview. That's always fun. Um, I mean, the lyrically. Uh, Scuba, my mama scuba, scuba woman down me slow. He claims this is about someone who wants to be drowned. Uh, you know, is, is sort of getting off on the concept of being yeah. drowned by oh someone. My God. Um, I, I okay, I'll read. Yeah, push me further, straight along. I'll be there. I'll be here when mama's gone. Don't you love me? My skin woman, love you, my skin can dry. Yeah. I mean, that's just like gross and morbid. And he has already got a song. Hug me close, stuff me tight, quick is quick and knife is knife. In my crumbled this... shape, a chance, mo mama, scuba dance, dance. Yeah, you know. this actually, I mean, I know I'm a broken record about this, but it genuinely feels like um, some of Scott Walker's songs that have this kind of like, gro- <laughs> like gross sex a perversion like death thing there's a song called fetish on his last record the one he did with son and uh yeah it's like about wanting to like it's, i guess it's about like get, uh, enjoying getting your skin cut off or something but um yeah i don't know that he needed to do this one when you've already got barracuda the fun version of wanting to drown or being uh, a song about drowning and yeah stuff. the fun I, I can't believe we haven't we haven't done a uh a mario sunshine reference at this point the fun uh, aquatic based song yeah, on the record yeah. it's not all just super mario sunshine references only get pulled out when when there's some kind of island flair but this was released on island records <laughs> boy you're really you're really throwing a little twang on that island <laughs> island I'm, an, I'm, I'm an island boy you know okay. yeah do you remember them from I, from from what from three months ago, ago? <laughs> <laughs> uh even three with stars. my mama's three I mean, stars, yeah, even, even with this at the end no question record. maybe the best record that he ever released uh yeah. top to bottom totally i mean fear. well fear it's a man's best friend. It's a it's a record buying listener's best friend because you're gonna want to buy Fear the album. Yeah. By Run, Jack. don't walk to your latest to your nearest Sam Goody Records and pick up Fear on Island Records, available sixteen ninety nine. John Cale. The Fear album. The yeah. Fear album. Um, yeah, I love this. I love this record. I love it. Perfect album. Jokerman. Like other angry whores Discuss What steps were made before We don't need them anymore You know more than I know You know more than I know You know more Instead 
You know 